Welcome back to the Mmm Letter. I'm your host, author, and one-man boy band, Stanley Bogood. The Mmm Letter is an audio column that explores the intersection of culture, business, morality, and professional development. But mostly fart jokes. Welcome! And without further ado, here is today's Mmm Letter. Stanley sees The Notebook, The Musical. Here's something you wouldn't have guessed about me. I love musicals. My favorite musical is The Book of Mormon, but by a narrow margin. I've seen more than I can recount, and I love most. We saw The Notebook at my wife's behest. It's a musical inspired by the romantic book and movie of the same title by Nicholas Sparks. I had... hmm... few expectations. Simona, who grew up on Ryan Gosling Hey Girl memes, had all the expectations. The movie, which Simona forced me to watch early in our dating career, is, regrettably, decent. But the musical is phenomenal. If you are unfamiliar with the premise, think 1940s Middle American Summertime Romeo and Juliet, but instead of youth and poison, it's retirees and Alzheimer's. Allie, the female love interest, suffers from the condition. Her husband, Noah, reads aloud the story of their lives to ignite Allie's memory and return her to Noah, metaphorically speaking. The narration guides the audience through biographical vignettes, exploring Allie's life, Noah's, and that of their children, family, and friends at critical moments. They must have cut the Chicago cast from diamonds, because it's nearly flawless apart from one wrinkle. As a possible artistic decision, the oldest and first iterations of Noah and Allie introduced on stage are race-swapped with their younger counterparts. The couple is mixed-raced. Noah is white, as in the original telling, and Allie is black. But as senior citizens, Noah is black and Allie is white. The directors may have purposely done so to confuse us. It's a red herring that leaves you questioning whether old Noah, whose name is deliberately withheld at the beginning, is reading his own story or someone else's. This was a poor choice because the slight bite of aha we taste after discovering that all three actresses represent the same woman and all three actors represent the same man is a morsel tainted with the disbelief that a wide-eyed blonde teenage boy needs only 50 years to become John Beasley, a black and weathered baritone. Thankfully, the player's dedication to their exceptional performances saves this woke casting choice from tanking the entire program. The work is excellent, so you forgive its momentary lapses in judgment, of which there are several, and yes, I will poke fun at each one. In the original story, Allie's fiancé, Lon, is a successful and influential lawyer from the city. His career path defines the sharp and literarily one-dimensional difference between himself and Noah. Noah takes over his father's lumberyard and works primarily with his hands in the countryside. The musical found Lon's original career of choice bourgeoisie and transformed him into a thriving public defender. If you're rolling your eyes, it's because you know the first thing about public defenders, something the musical's authors do not or perhaps refuse to acknowledge. The first thing everyone knows about public defense attorneys is 
they're broke. They couldn't cut it as paid lawyers and so lack power and are overworked. After painting Ali's parents as elite, erudite traditionalists who want what's best for Ali's future, it's hard to believe that wife of public defense attorney is what those two Ivy Leaguers had in mind. But Ali didn't want that upscale big city public lawyer defender life. She wanted to be a painter. Early on, we see that she had a raw, youthful talent that her parents stymied when they separated her from Noah. In a tucked away comment by older Noah, we discover that Allie returns to painting after the two marry and move into the house that Noah built for them. Allegedly, Allie's painting career was so successful that it supported her, her doting and broke husband, and the two children they raised together. I can't speak for you, but I will when I say that, yeah, we get it. It's that one friend who raises an entire family in the country by painting landscapes. Who doesn't know that person? You'll be shocked to discover that in the original telling, Noah supports Allie's artistic career through whatever modest means he can employ. Not the other way around. This is typically true of any spousal pairing in which one partner is a starving, <clears throat> aspiring artist, let alone an artist disconnected from major cities where curators can make their career a profitable yet improbable reality. Maybe she got into NFTs. Thankfully, the feminist and woke daydreams injected into this story fail to undercut its core and rather conservative message. This story and its leading man Noah are compelling to both male and female audiences because of Noah's commitment, dog-headed determination, and absolute certainty. After meeting Allie, he decides in fewer than two months that he wants to spend the rest of his life with her. Full stop. After she leaves his town and he goes off to war, he returns to buy and renovate the house he promised her when they were teenagers. He spends five years building furniture and mending a house in a town that she no longer lives in because he has a terminal if you build it she will become belief in himself and her. That level of certainty intoxicates a generation of kids raised on moral relativism and Facebook's maybe button. No one knows he loves Allie more than I know 2 plus 2 equals 4. Even though there are no soulmates in real life and the story muddies commitment with serendipitous fate, we still come away with a powerful message. That message is this. Dedicate yourself to another, have faith, build a life with that person, and when it's time to walk through life's fires, you will have someone you love to hold your hand. Does that always work out? No. Is that a guarantee? Not at all. But it's a North Star axiom worth pursuing that lives in the heart of every person, regardless of how much cynicism and selfishness are caked over it. Today, this message is evaporating. Girls choose careers, boys choose instant gratification. We're pulling further away from commitment and diving deeper into transactional exchanges. We're told, and my mother was one such proponent, that we don't need to marry nor have children to have fulfilling lives. We should have few or no children because they're expensive and consume fossil fuels. I am done with that, and I wish I had done away with it sooner. I don't believe that marriage or commitment are patriarchal values imposed on society to subjugate women and empower men. I don't even think marriage was invented at all. I believe it is a deep, biological, and practical desire that faith organizations only codified later and civilization then twisted and perverted through time. But it endures and will continue to do so as long as people believe in the kind of powerful human commitment on display in the notebook. It's cheesy, predictable, tear-jerking, and I loved it. Four and a half out of five stars. That wraps up another whimsical episode of the M mm letter and my first ever, I think, review of anything in this um, 
lauded one and a half year history of the Um letter. I hope you enjoyed this column. It's definitely a bit of a turn away from what I've written or spoken about before. Yeah, I promise I would expand the breadth of topics covered here and promises made, promises kept. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Stay tuned uh, for next week for God knows what. I love you. Bye.